You're listening to the Calvary Catechism Podcast, where we seek to defend doctrine, dispel deception, and develop disciples. Today we invite our very first guest onto the podcast, Dr. Keith Foskey. We have a conversation with Keith about the question, could Jesus have sinned? It was a great discussion with Keith. Hope you'll tune in and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Calford Catechism. And this is an exciting episode because we have a guest with us for the very first time. We have Pastor Dr. Keith Foskey on the mic. Hey, Keith. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on the program today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited. We, uh, and you can, we'll give you a chance to talk about it a little bit more maybe at the end. Uh, but Keith is the, also the host of another podcast called Conversations with a Calvinist as you can see on his hat, if you're watching the episode. And uh, I've had the privilege of uh, joining him on that a couple times and always enjoy the time. So this is partly an opportunity to return the uh, the favor and the fun, um, but also I value his uh, input, his insight, his knowledge of the scriptures, um, had a chance. So Keith and I got to, got to meet at a pastor's forum here in town and um, been a, he's been an encouragement to me on several occasions um, and been, been, in many ways, played a role of a, a pastoral mentor on, in specific occasions in my life. And so I appreciate that. Well, I'm grateful for you saying that. And I appreciate your friendship as well. And the times you've been on the show have been really fun. So I look forward to today a lot. Yeah. So we're in uh, the third season of our podcast, if you will. Um, and the, the overarching theme of season number three is difficult doctrines. And so we are covering today a theological question that came up for me when I was preparing to teach on Matthew chapter four, the temptation of Jesus. And it was the question of, could Jesus have sinned? Now, we obviously, those of us who are Orthodox Christians would say Jesus never sinned. He did not sin, but that's not necessarily the question we're asking. We are asking, could he have sinned? In his humanity, he was tempted of Satan. Was it a possibility um, for him to have sinned? He just simply resisted that temptation um, as we all believe that he did. And so um, that was the question that, that we wanted to come at. What I want to start us off with and pitch this question to Keith um, and for us to just talk about a little bit is why, why would this even matter? I mean, if, if we all agree that Jesus did not sin, we, we agree that that did not happen. Um, why does it even matter that we talk about whether or not he could have sinned? I think that the reason why most people want to address this issue <clears throat> is because there's a sense in which people believe that if Jesus could not sin, then his sinlessness was somehow artificial, that it wasn't genuine. Um, if, a, if a man can't fly and uh, he doesn't fly, no one's impressed. Um, and so if Jesus can't sin and he doesn't sin, then what's the, what's, what's the big deal that, 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 that uh, I obviously I have a different view, but, but, but you, based on your question is why do people make this an issue? I legitimately think people believe if, if we believe Christ can't sin, then that somehow diminishes the value of his sinlessness. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> and it was interesting for me. So when I was prepping for my sermon, I decided to text this question to several pastors and friends, and uh, Keith got that text, Travis got that text, and uh, 
they, they know that what I did was I said, I just want yes or no from your perspective. <laughs> Could Jesus have sinned? And nobody was able to just say everybody had to bring something else, which I would have done the same thing. So I, I, I knew that was going to happen. That was partly just to have fun with people. Um, but let's, let's maybe go there and then we'll, we'll defend our position for all three of us. What is your view? Yes or no. Uh, could Jesus have sinned? Keith? Uh, my simple answer to your text was, uh, no, I don't believe Jesus could have sinned. And so that would put me in the arena of what is called impeccability in the theological persuasions. There are two positions, peccability and impeccability, and uh, whether or not Christ could have sinned. And I believe in impeccability that he could not sin. And then my response to you was, but if you want to talk about it, <laughs> I, I said, I'd love to talk about it. So, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, Travis, are you of the same? Yes. Same camp. <clears throat> okay. Totally agreed. Uh, I am of the same camp as well. So in order for this to not be completely boring and we just all get along and agree because we do, and that's good. Um, I'm going to have some fun and play devil's advocate here and there interject with some questions and objections. Um, I think it's maybe uh, good to just note that these are not necessarily objections that I hold, um, but some that maybe come out from other people as well. And y'all, y'all can do the same. I don't have to be the only one that does that. We can bring the other perspective. Um, so let me ask this again, before we really get into the, the deep weeds of this, would you say, and both of you can interject here, but I'll, I'll pitch it to Keith first. Um, would you say that if you hold to the, the belief that of the peccability of Christ, that he could have sinned, that that is a heretical teaching? I would say no, uh, but with a very, very um, nuanced no. Okay. And my reason for the nuance is because one of my favorite theologians, and, and, and I mean, he's beloved by so many, so it's not like he's unique to me, but one of my favorite theologians uh, is the, the, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul. He and I, I did have an opportunity on a few occasions to meet him in person to, uh, to spend some time talking with him. And that was one of the highlights of my early ministry and life. And so <clears throat> I take what he has to say very seriously, even though he was wrong on baptism. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, <clears throat> no, sorry. I don't want to offend your listeners, but, uh, no. but, uh, but anyway, he was, uh, he was a wonderful man, a great man. And his, his position, um, made a distinction in the, the humanity of Christ, uh, over, over and against the, the deity of Christ, where we have in, in Christ, two natures in one person, whereas in the Trinity, we have one being with three persons in Christ, we have one, one person with two natures. And so we have the divine nature and the human nature and, and the, the hypostatic union, the doctrine of the hypostatic union is that Christ is vera homo vera deos, which is Latin for truly man and truly God. Mm -hmm. And so Sproul would say in his divinity, he could not sin, but in his humanity, he was, uh, as, as Augustine said, posse picari, or he had the ability to sin. Augustine had four, four Latin phrases. There was um, posse picari, which means you have the ability to sin. Posse non picari, which means you, you have the ability to not sin. Uh, non posse non picari, which is the ability to not sin, the inability not to sin, which is where we are. We can't not sin because right. it's a, a part of our nature. And then non posse picari, which is the inability to sin. And, and, and I, I hope I didn't just run away with those phrases. I, I only bring those up because that's really the, the heart of the argument is Christ 
does Christ have possibly card? Does he have the ability to sin or does he have the inability to sin? Uh, and what we would say, non possibility. So uh, he would say in his divinity, he was, he had no ability to sin, but in his humanity he did. And, mm-hmm. and where I would disagree with that, where my issue with that would be is, is I think we end up running the risk of, of making too hard a divide between the, the deity and humanity of Christ, because they are united in the one person of Christ. Mm-hmm. There are times in scripture where we see a distinction, such as when Christ said he didn't know the time of his return, things like that. We could say that touches his humanity, not his divinity. And so that would be the distinction that Sproul would have made. And I don't think Sproul was a heretic, obviously. Right. But I would disagree with him. So yeah. I mean, I hope, you, that, you would, hope that wasn't too long an answer. No, you would you would say that it's a it's a wrong teaching, but it doesn't cause somebody to step outside of Orthodox Christianity. Um, I think I think it really depends on how it's framed. That yeah, uh, cool. you get somebody like um, uh, who's that guy up in 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 just north of us, the got a. I don't. I don't know if you want to name names. I'll be careful. There's there's a guy, he, very famous pastor. Um, we name some names around here. We named Kenneth Copeland in a before. Well, the the, <laughs> the the one I'm thinking about is that young guy. Where's Furtick? Like, kind of musk. Yeah, Furtick. Furtick yeah. guy. Um, he 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 said Jesus broke the law for love. Yeah. And so obviously he would hold not only to a peccable Christ, but he would say that Christ intentionally broke the law right. uh, to uh, to overcome this legal structures to love people and, and right. what have you. So so I think I think that's where the real danger lies is when you yes. is when you, you because when you start saying Christ could sin, then you start almost down the road of that Christ did sin yeah. or that Christ at least broke the law of God, which is the very definition of sin. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know how you get around that either. Uh, Travis, what are your thoughts here? You got something to say? Yeah. The, um, <laughs> well, yeah, I would definitely, I agree with everything you just said. I would say that the, um, uh, in the case of Stephen Furtick, um, that's, I, yeah, I don't want to, um, say that people who do hold to peccability, um, would normally take maybe his viewpoint or his stance on things because right. he is in himself a heretic. Right. I'd feel comfortable with saying after listening to a lot of various things. So him being a heretic of a, in and of himself, him saying something to that extent of, you know, which I've heard as well, him breaking the law, which and how you parse that out would be him sinning, right. could be right. a result of that. Um, well, yeah, he's just, a her- he's just a heretic in and of himself. So I, I, I definitely feel comfortable with saying that people who hold to the traditional view of peccability are not right. heretics at all. Right. Um, that like Dr. R.C. Sproul, just, you know, they, I, I understand that they're, they're trying to think through it, you know, like uh, um, they're trying to, to parse out a lot of Christ's dual nature within his humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel a little, I, I personally, obviously we all agree here to disagree with that. I think I feel uncomfortable with it. Um, but I don't, I just don't think that this is what I was, how I responded to the text. Um, the, the, the scriptures are not firmed up on this. It's not explicit on it as so to say on mm-hmm. obviously these we're using a lot of terms within, e- even while we're splitting up Christ's divine nature and the trinity and human nature and 
Uh, we're systematizing all of these terms, which are extremely helpful and needed, but we're obviously doing that from a human perspective, just trying to make helpful categories for us to better understand these things. Mm -hmm. So when we start saying, ah, you don't agree with my category of systematized label right. for this particular view and therefore you're a heretic right that you i don't want to make a law where there is no law right and if if you know if the scriptures are not explicit and dogmatic on it we obviously can't be mm -hmm. so i agree completely with okay you. yep all right uh let's uh let's move into some more of the the meat of the actual discussion and and i'll start with one of my one of my devil's advocate questions <laughs> Um, so if we're saying that Jesus could not have sinned, then what, I mean, what was the purpose of his temptation? I mean, was it even a temptation in the first place? Um, and you know, we hold to as Christians, these beautiful truths in Hebrews that say things like, because he himself was tempted yet without sin, he's a faithful and merciful high priest. But was he even really tempted then? If it wasn't possible for him to sin, um, what's the deal with this temptation? Let's let's go there for a few minutes. Okay. Am I going first? Sure. Yeah, I would love okay. to hear. You were the guest. I, I didn't want to. We, 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 we want you to have the chance to talk. Okay. Um I, I do want to mention I, I did I did bring a few notes for today. Uh, yeah. uh, so if you see me looking off screen, uh, I'm not ignoring <laughs> your no, eye good. contact. Uh, but um, this is something that in in our church over a three year period, I did a, a systematic theology course where I taught through systematic theology. And um, in our Christology portion, we do a peccability versus impeccability series of lessons. And um, we talk about the difference between uh, temptation as an external uh, reality and temptation as an internal reality. Mm -hmm. And so th that there, there, there is, the, I think, really where the rubber meets the road, because external temptation is a sin proposed and internal, con internal temptation is a sin considered. And mm -hmm. so um, we all deal with both. We deal with sins that are proposed, and then we deal with the consideration of that sin within ourselves. So we have to consider whether or not we're going to uh, go after that sin or, or, or give into that sin. And um, growing up, there were a lot of sins that tempted me, um, <clears throat> but I can honestly say, and, and I hope I don't seem like I'm putting myself on any kind of pedestal, I was never tempted by marijuana ever once. Uh, I saw people smoke marijuana. My, I had family members that were uh, th that were addicted to marijuana, and I and I never once thought it was in any way uh, interesting. I, I you know uh, I was already hungry all the time, so I didn't feel like I needed that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know, it, I never had an internal temptation toward marijuana. Uh, not not I don't I don't think ever, not even once. Um, but I mean, certainly that doesn't put me in the category of impeccable because I had many internal right. temptations on many other things and, and, and those are legendary and infamous and without the need to bring up, but, uh, but when I think about Christ, I have to consider he had, he had every sin proposed to him. Uh, Satan proposed to him the sins of, uh, of, of power and wealth and prosperity. He had every sin, that, which is what you preached on, you know, the, the, you know feed yourself with this rock. Uh, here's on this mountain. Here's, here's all these temptations of authority. And all you got to do is bow down to me and you'll have all these things. And, and so he had every external temptation proposed to him. But the question is, was there an internal monologue or an internal consideration of those things? 
And that's where I would say no. And so I would say, I would say where Christ was tempted was, was externally. Uh, but I don't think that there was an internal consideration. I, and I base this on a, f- a few things. I base this specifically on uh, what the Bible tells us about his will, because our will is what drives our decision-making, what we do. And, and the Bible says his, his only desire was to do the will of the Father. His only desire was to do that. That's John 5.30. Yeah. And so he didn't have an internal drive to follow after that sin. Yeah. And so I would say that was where the, the, the biggest distinction lies is, is, is he was, te- and, and what, 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 what this causes is really, a, a, in a sense, he was tempted more than any of us because eventually all of us give in, but he never did. So as, as much as the temptation was piled on, piled on, piled on, he never, ever gave in. Right. And therefore it was just more and more. And we have no, we have no ways what people, we have no way to know what people offered him. The book gospel of John tells us that we don't know all the things that happened in his life. And if all the things were written down, the, all the books of the world couldn't contain it. So we don't know all the things that were offered to Christ as far as money and power and women and everything else that may have tried to tempt him into something. And all of it was an external temptation. But the question is, was there an internal temptation? And I want to quote something. As I said, I have notes. So if you hope, hope yeah. this is okay. This is from a commentary that I use. It's nothing fancy. It's the it's a one volume commentary. I actually make all of our students in our academy buy this. It's, and it's dispensational. Don't tell anybody. Uh, it's a, so, it's a, so, so it's not a it's not 100%. Uh, uh, but, but I like it. It's called the Believer's Bible Commentaries put out by Tom, Thomas Nelson Publishers. And it's, and it's just a, a simple commentary, but this is what it says. It says, to argue that the temptation of Christ was not meaningful if he could not sin is fallacious. One purpose of a temptation was to demonstrate conclusively that he could not sin. If you put gold to the test, the test is not less valid because the gold is pure. Mm. I think that last sentence, if you put gold to the test, that doesn't make the test less valid just because the gold shows itself to be pure. Yeah, right. That's good. Good. I like like that uh, analogy there. I think that you know, a part of the desire for some people to want to say, well, he could have sinned, but he didn't, is it almost, it almost sounds better. Like he really, he really was tempted even within himself and he, he avoided that. But, um, but we have to, we have to take into consideration the very nature and character of God himself in this conversation, right? That, that, that God God's will does not change. And yes, Christ was fully human, fully, fully divine, but, but there has to be some account taken here of the fact that he is fully divine. And if his will had changed, um, would that imply a a change in the divine himself? Um, and, and that's, that's a part of this conversation maybe as well. Would you say, and either of you can chime in here, I would say, if you, if you want, um, would you say that this conversation plays into the doctrine of impassibility at all? Mm. <laughs> uh, go first. <laughs> so, so somebody else, please. Yeah, Cause I Travis have a lot of thoughts you. that that will take us into a, uh, another hour, but go ahead, Travis. <laughs> no, go, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, I, I am, uh, um, obviously I, uh, 
am a confessional Baptist, but I'm not a 1689 confessional Baptist. And so uh, our church confesses the 1646 confession, which is the first London, which does avoid some of the, some of the language of the 1689 confession in regard to some of the attributes of God. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't address things like passability and things like that. So uh, um, one of the big hot button issues right now with Oh, and by the way, having said that, that makes me have to say something else. There, there are a lot of people who would say, but it still affirms it implicitly because the men who wrote it believed it. So I, I, I understand that argument. I'm not disagreeing that the 1646 framers would have probably affirmed uh, the similar theology as to the 1689 framers, many of them being the same men. Uh, so, so I'm fine with that. But when you get to the issue of uh, impassibility, that is a huge hot button topic right now because there are men who have been teaching the 1689 confession for 20, 30 years, like James White, who have a different perspective on impassibility as, as do say more, more, uh, more modern speakers like James Dolezal and, and, and some of the 1689 federalists. So when we talk about the subject of passability, I, I I'm, I'm a little hesitant to just, to, to just say this is or isn't, but the, but one of the questions that does come up in the passability argument was: Is the incarnation itself a breach of impassibility because God takes on a nature that He did not have before? The Son, the God, the Son takes on a human nature, and in our Christology, we do believe that that is something He did not possess before. That right. the, that the human nature of Christ actually came into existence in Bethlehem, even though the the divinity of Christ, the, 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 the logos, the divine logos has always existed as the second person, of the Trinity, who we would call the son, God, the son has always existed. The, the human person of Jesus Christ did not exist until Bethlehem. And, and therefore, um, was that a change and, a, a, a fundamental change in the nature of God by taking on uh, human nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would say no, because that would violate not only the doctrine of, of impassibility, but more specifically would, do, would violate the doctrine of, um, of immutability that God does not, that God does not change um, by, by adopting the human nature, his fundamental deity did not change. And so um, I, I don't know if that answers your question it may have made it more complicated, but, but in, in that regard, I think getting into the issue of impassibility is, is really, is really impassibility is just a, 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 a it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an extended conversation of immutability. Right. And one of the things that immutability can't be, even though we believe God doesn't change, immutability cannot be that God is not a being who is relational, because right. that's what my that's what my fear is, is, is the modern immutability and passability conversation is that God is, 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 is ultimately, we're almost stepping backwards into deism. We're stepping backwards into a view where God becomes unrelational. And I think that's the that's where men like James White are having their issues with the the conversation because it seems like we're turning God into a um, a, a God who is not able to relate to His creation in any meaningful way. Yeah, I think that those are really good points. I didn't mean to necessarily get under. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry if I did. <laughs> no, I think that was great. Actually, I think that it even it plays into the conversation about the the sinlessness of Christ and his impeccability, because we, we cannot forget that though God does not change, um, that he still is a relational being and that, yeah. and that Christ in his work of, of sinlessness um, still is relational toward us in the sense that he sympathizes with our weaknesses, that he, yeah. he understands the, the temptations that we're faced with. And so um, we, what, what I think is important in this whole conversation of could Jesus have sinned is 
we affirm wholeheartedly that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses, that he, he knows what it is to be tempted yet to be without sin, that he is a faithful and merciful high priest in those moments of temptation that we go through as well, um, that we don't want to take away from, from that at all. But we also want to be careful to speak accurately about the, the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and that's why, I mean, we kind of touched on this earlier, but that's why this conversation matters too, is we're not, we don't just want to talk semantics and, you know, does it really matter? Cause he did, he didn't sin. So whatever we, we want to be careful to speak accurately about who God is. That is, that's very important for us um, as well. And so um, I think even though it was kind of a, you know, it kind of got off into that topic, it, it does bring us back to, to the conversation of, of could Jesus have sinned? And is he a faithful high priest um, even though he could not have sinned? So those are some. And I, if, if I could, I just want to add one thought uh, to the, the question that you asked, I think could even be distilled down into a, into a, a more simple question. And that is the question, can Christ cease to be divine? Mm. Can right. Christ cease to be divine? And so when we ask the question, can Christ sin? We are asking the question, can Christ cease to be divine? Because if he is fully divine, and um, God cannot sin. I don't think anybody debates whether or not God in his nature has the ability to sin because sin is the opposite of God's nature, and therefore God cannot violate his own nature. So when we say, can Christ sin, we're asking a more fundamental uh, 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 question in regard to his ontology. Can he cease to be God? And I think the answer has to be no. And then on the flip side, I appreciated, I can't even remember who said this, but I was, I, I read several different perspectives on this issue and somebody talked about the fact that it it's not, so God in his nature cannot sin, right? We all would agree with that. No matter what side we fall on this, God in his divine nature cannot sin. And so the flip side, people want to say, yeah, but humans in our nature, we do sin. Um, and so Jesus could not have been fully human if it wasn't possible for him to sin. But let's not forget that when mankind was created in the image of God, um, we were we were sinless, right? Mankind was sinless um, in that in that uh, original mode, and it was it was the the sin of Adam that brought death and the sin nature to all of mankind. And so, to be able to sin is not foundational to being human, like uh, it's foundational to the nature of the divine God in not being able to sin. It's not it's not the same. It's not two sides of the same coin in that way. So I thought I thought that was a good point um, to bring up because I think that's what sometimes people on the other side of the argument that's what they want to appeal to is to say Jesus can't be fully human if it wasn't possible for him to sin. Um, but I would say that um, that you don't you don't have to sin to be fully human. As a matter of fact, that's not how God intended humanity to live and and to exist um, originally. If that makes sense. So I think that's exactly right. And I, I don't want to take Travis out of the equation if you have anything to add, but I. Please, you're fine. You're good okay. at interrupting. You should. Do that. <clears throat> no, no, no. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's good. That's actually gonna... in my in my lessons on the subject of peccability. That that that's one of the apologetics issues we address because we do when I'm teaching. A lot of times, I'll have questions that go with my lesson that are somewhat apologetic in nature, meaning we're going to defend this versus the question. And the question is, if Christ could not sin, does that mean that he is less than human? And um, which is what you just said and what you your answer is exactly right. Uh, Sin is not an essential part of humanity. Sin is a corruption of 
what God created us to be. Uh, It's not an essential part. And and, and here's how we know that. Um, Ask anybody who says that, will you be able to sin in heaven? And if they say, well, no, okay, well, then you, will you cease to be you? Right. Um, will you cease to be human? And somebody says, well, in heaven, we're divine. No, we're not. We're, we, we never become divine. We, we, we will be glorified in a glorified state, but we won't be God. And so we will still be creature. We will never be creator. That, that infinitely divided distinction always has to stand between creature and creator. And even in heaven, when we are in glorified bodies, we will not be uh, creator. We will still be creature. And in that sense, still be human. And we will be human without sin and without the ability to sin. I don't think that we're going to have another shot at the tree of knowledge in glory. I think that that is over the, the, uh, the, the, the time of fall and redemption is completed in the consummation. And therefore in the consummation, we don't have the ability to sin. Mm. So that's a good point. Um, you got anything you want to add here? Um, I, I just, to to really hit on what Keith was saying earlier was, um, the distinct, I think the heart of the argument lies in how you define temptation. Um, and if you exclusively stick with one single definition of temptation of every time that you're externally tempted, you have to be internally tempted, mm-hmm. um, which from a, just from a practical standpoint, from just from a humanistic standpoint, from all of us here and anybody listening right now, I don't think anybody would agree with that to, to Keith's point. Um, have you ever been tempted by something, by somebody or by something externally? where internally you had zero desire to go along with that. Absolutely. Right. Um, I'm in the same boat. I've never had a desire to do cocaine. Right. Yeah. Never had a desire. Yeah. Somebody offers me cocaine. I'm going to be like, kick rocks. I don't want to do (sighs) cocaine. I I don't, I have have zero care for that. Yeah. But have you ever been tempted by something and that internalizing and that the, the internal mulling over of that sin and, the grappling of your heart of like the pulling and the tugging that you feel. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, that's real. And in James chapter one, you know, when we talk about uh, where temptation comes from, you know, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, starting in verse 12, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Um, I just personally, and I think a lot of people would agree, I don't feel comfortable saying that Christ experienced a luring and an enticing within within his own heart towards sin. Yeah. That when Satan, for example, in Matthew four, you know, tempts him, I don't think that there was a tug in his heart saying, ah, I want that. Yeah. Um, now the flip side would say, well, this, the scriptures just aren't explicit on that. Just because you're not comfortable with it doesn't mean it can't be true. Right. And okay. I'm not going to sit there and say that this is dogmatically the, 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 you know, drop the mic moment. I just think this is where the argument hinges on. Um, 
and, and like I said, and we all agreed, I'm not trying to be dogmatic and say that they're heretics who disagree with it, but I don't feel comfortable staking my ground and saying that he was lured. Right. Jesus and enticed. Yeah. When, when you were reading that passage, that's what was going through my mind. I was like, could we, could we have said this about Christ? Like in that moment in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, could we say that he was being like Satan was tempting him? Yes. We all agree with that. But he was also internally experiencing this desire for those things that Satan was giving him. But he just said, he just said, no, um, I, I would feel uncomfortable <laughs> describing Christ that. in that way for sure. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, 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 I understand the, the desire to want to, you know, make sure that we don't take away from the humanity of Christ in, in, in saying this, like, I get that. Um, but I also, we have to keep the flip side of let's not take away from his divinity either in this conversation, because I think there's, there's a danger there on both sides. There's more of a danger in my opinion, in taking away from his divinity by saying he could have sinned. than there is taking away his humanity by saying he could not have sinned because it doesn't take away from his humanity. Right. Cause it doesn't take away from his humanity. So um, yeah, I was, I was hoping to play devil's advocate a little bit more than what I'm doing, but I can't help it. I'm just enjoying, I'm <laughs> enjoying this. I'm enjoying the conversation. I'm not as good as, good as it, at, as at that, as I thought. That's funny. Um, well, cool. Um, I, I have a place that I do want to, want to end up a question I want to end up, but let me, Keith, you, you have some notes. Was there anything else in this conversation that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I have one last thought for the listener to consider. I think we've uh, addressed a lot of things, um, but the, the other is, and this is maybe my um, a little bit of my Calvinism showing forth. Uh, uh, when we deal with the subject of, of could or, or even more specific would, you know, that, which is the, if you're, if any of your listeners are familiar with the current Calvinism versus Molinism argument is the question of, the subjunctive would and you know what what would you do in this situation what would you do in that situation uh, all of that and i'm going to be doing a show about that actually uh in a few weeks because i'm going to be addressing uh i consider molinism the the marvel comics version of theology uh because they have sort of this multiverse view where yeah. every decision changes and creates a new universe and so god has to actuate a new universe every time a decision is made and if you're if you're unfamiliar with Molinism, that is spot on. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but where I where I take the issue is is on the issue of potentiality. We serve a God who is um, who knows all things, uh, actually and potentially, but in His decree there there are no potentialities, um, because God decrees all things that will come to pass. Um, including the, the free choices of, of his creatures. And God has, according to our confessions, at least the confession that, that we hold to, God has decreed all things um, from eternity. And, and so when we talk about potentiality, when you ask the question, could Jesus sin? You're asking the question, could the decree of God, which was that Christ would come as the sinless lamb of God and take the sin of those who would believe on him, and, and forever pay the penalty for their debt. You're saying, could God's plan have been thwarted? Mm. And so I think you're dealing now in the, in the, in the question of, of the potential when we have a God who does not operate in that realm. And yeah. so I think that's one more step of uh, you, you're essentially saying the decree of God could have failed. 
And so that's one more step along the line of when we start dealing with could, um, God doesn't deal with that. God doesn't deal in that category. And so yeah. we, we, we are, we are purely speculating uh, on something that, that could not have happened. That's a good point. Cause that, that plays into the application even of our trust in the sovereignty of God of saying, you know, was, is there a possibility out there that there was this instance that Jesus would have sinned and our salvation would have failed and, and God would have ceased to have been God. Like what, that I, I'm not saying that those who hold to uh, peccability are saying that is possible. I don't, I believe they would deny that, but I feel like logically that's where that thinking has to take you. Right. And so, man, what a, this, this plays into our confidence in the sovereignty of God and our trust in him, that his purposes will not fail. Um, yep. That Jesus could not have sinned, that no matter what temptation was thrown at him, he could not have sinned because he came to be our, our perfect substitute, um, to be the sinless one who would then bear the sins of his people. So that that is the, the segue and the transition into my last question, because um, we can't help but at times preach on the podcast. And so uh, maybe the inner preacher gets to come out a little bit. Um, what? And I've, I've said a little bit, on it. I tried to stop myself, but I couldn't help it. What comfort does this truth bring to the believer? Like why, why does this, why would this truth encourage our hearts to know that Christ could not have sinned? Not just that he didn't sin, um, but that he could not have sinned. And then even play into the fact that because he could not sin, he didn't sin. And therefore, um, you know, he was able to accomplish salvation. Like let's, let's just talk about that for a minute. Why, why, not only why does this truth matter theologically, um, but why does this matter for our doxology, for our praise of the Lord and our comfort that we take in him as, as our salvation? Um, I'm, my turn, I guess. Sure. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, my initial thought when you, when you ask the question of how does this affect our doxology goes to the subject of when I am, um, when I am considering God's work, that his work is, is not a, uh, God does not work in, in possibilities, but in, 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 in things that are certain. God is a certain God. And this is one of the reasons why I, you know, at 26 years old, I, I went from being, um, you know, I went to an Armenian school. I, I, I was trained that if I was a Calvinist, I was bad. Uh, and, and I was going to destroy my church and all these different things. And, and when I became a Calvinist, I was afraid that, that, um, because I believed it was what the Bible taught, but I didn't know that I didn't, I didn't know if people would be willing to receive it. And so, um, it was a very difficult time. And, and there was a few very difficult years, but the one thing that uh, is the is the is the real blessing is is the reality that God is God is a God of the absolute. He is not a He's not a God of the possible. Um, and and so when 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 I say to a person, you know, does God know how many people are going to be in heaven? The the Arminian has to say yes, mm-hmm. but they base it on a totally different reason. Well, God looked down the corridor of time and he saw what I was going to do. And that's how he knows. And I say, well, then is it possible that it could be any other way? If your position is true, is it possible that it could be any other way? Hmm. And then they say, well, no. And I say, okay, well, if that's the case, then what you're saying is that it is fixed. It is certain because it can't be another way. Hmm. And, um, 
then I began to lure them to my side. He, <laughs> he, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. 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 So, so, but, but the, yeah, but, but the point is I'm, I'm making is um, even if we think that there is total free will and libertarian choices and all these different things in the mind of God, it just is not that way. God is certain uh, whether I'm going to live tomorrow or if I'm not going to live tomorrow not just because he's decreed it, but because he knows all things infallibly and perfectly. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about Christ being sinless, I think about the fact that God knew from eternity that Christ was going to be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that he was going to be my savior, that he in fact had saved me before he ever even went to the cross, because it was so certain in the mind of God that when God speaks of my salvation, he says that I'm justified and I'm glorified. And he speaks of that in the, in the past tense, as if it's already happened. And yet I'm not yet glorified. But in the mind of God, these things are not potential. They are absolute. And so the, 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 the certainty of Christ's sinlessness is a, is a great comfort to the believer that God does not deal with me in the maybe, but God deals with me in the absolutely, yeah. in the certainty. So that would... that's good. That's, that's solid. Travis, what you got? Um, you know, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's consistent. Hmm. Um, and there's a lot that goes into that, that simple sentence, right? Mm -hmm. um, he can't, he can't change. Yeah. Change who he is. Did he add humanity? Yeah. But that doesn't reject the, uh, the heresy of the kenosis, which kind of you were hitting on earlier. He didn't mm -hmm. lose divine attributes, nor can he lose divine attributes such as being able to sin. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But my, my mind goes to Acts 2. Um, in Acts 2, you have the very, uh, the, really the, the creation of the first church, you know, the, on Pentecost when Peter preached that famous sermon. Uh, and right after his exposition of Joel, uh, he gets into verse 22 when he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, speaking thus of the sovereignty of this, this, this plan and all the way down to Jesus's death even. But verse 24 is fascinating. Uh, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Mm -hmm. that's, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So how does that even correlate? So Christ in his humanity, um, he, he died. Mm -hmm. Within his full humanity, when a dead person dies, what happens? They stay dead mm -hmm. because they have to stay dead. But why is it though that Christ that it was impossible for mm. him to stay down mm. because he's God. Yeah. He's God almighty. He's the sinless one. There are things even within Jesus's humanity that he was not able to do mm. because he can't sin. He can't stay dead. Mm. He can't stay down. He is the resurrected one. Mm. This is why when you get down lower within Acts chapter two, it says that now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. The Greek saying that they were stabbed, that they were shocked by this. Why? Because they killed God. Mm. They were responsible for this. This is just incredible. Brothers, what shall we do? He's like, what are we going to do now? What mm. does he say? Repent. Mm. 
-hmm. Repent. You have, you are responsible. Yeah. Is God sovereign? Amen. But you bear responsibility and culpability here for God dying. You've sinned against this holy God. You need to repent, turn from your sins and agree with him that you deserve hell. And that you desperately need the, the, the righteousness and the, the blood of Christ to cover you. You need the exchange to occur. You need the gospel. Yeah. Repent of your sins and believe in the sinless one who is unable to sin and the one who cannot die again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's our hope, right? We we know that's that death, hope. we know that death will not uh will not win the victory over us because we are in Christ who cannot be held by death. Right. So um that's a that's a beautiful truth. Um, because I can't help myself, another thought occurred to me, I'm sorry, um, while you were talking, I just thought about how this, this also does play into the, the truth. We talk about Christmas time, we talk about Jesus being born of a virgin and not bearing this sin nature. Um, it it kind of leads me into this, this, again, this biblical line of reasoning that says, if Jesus was not born with this sinful nature as we are, um, then he did not therefore have this internal desire to sin as we do, um, because he did not have the same sinful nature that we did. And that now that what, what is mind boggling that we cannot, we can't fully wrap our minds around is that the same Jesus who came, who was sinless, who is sinless, who is God in the flesh, who resisted the temptations of Satan. And not only in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, but all throughout his life, bombarded with all these outward temptations, he resists all that. He set his face, face as a flint toward Jerusalem because this mm. was the plan of God for him to then go and to bear our sin. Um, who, who knew no sin, like that verse, we say it so much that I think it just becomes redundant. But when you consider this truth, that Jesus did not sin, that he could not have sinned, and yet he came for his enemies to bear their sin and, and to, to pour out his love on us and to then, again, you mentioned the great exchange, to take our sins so that we receive his righteousness. Um, it just causes you to worship because, I mean, what, what, who does that? I mean, who even, who even considers that as an option, right, to, to, to be sinless, be God, and to come and wrap on human flesh so that you could bear the sins of many? I mean, that, that's a, an amazing truth. Man. So that's good. I think that's a, that's a good place for us to, to stop uh, this conversation. We, uh, we enjoy talking about these things. We could talk forever, but um, I appreciate you taking the time too, Keith. Yes, sir. I enjoyed it. Thank you both uh, for having me on the program today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. And uh, we will, uh, we'll wrap up this episode. Just a final reminder to our listeners. Uh, this is, first of all, this is fun. This is a video format. Um, we don't often, we don't actually ever do that. We tried that once our very first episode and um i didn't actually hit record on the camera and we decided to do to not do it after that so um <laughs> we uh just for different reasons but we may we may do more of these going forward especially having a guest on i appreciate it appreciate the time and um we'll sign off for now this has been kenny n my name is Travis v. <laughs> and dr keith fosky thank, thank you Keith. you're awesome man i appreciate it it was a pleasure i appreciate you. you both yes sir very much